they're publicly acknowledging that they're not on track. And so I don't think this is a foregone conclusion. I think that's important for people to remember, too, that just because these psychopaths have their plans or they put out some documents or hold some conferences doesn't mean it's guaranteed fact. We still do have a role to play in terms of uh, building new systems, but also pushing back where we can on the insanity that they're trying to advance. We strive for truth and liberty. We strive to be better. Humanity's made mistakes. We're not perfect, but this ain't forever. I know we're destined to build the better world we know is possible. It's gonna take struggle and making ourselves responsible for our choices and actions. We have the power to manifest that which we know we deserve. We are humanity at its best. You're listening to Freedom Junkie Radio. Welcome back, Freedom Junkies, to more Freedom Junkie Radio, the podcast that brings more freedom into our lives, whatever that looks like. And I think for the first time ever in the history of Freedom Junkie Radio, I'm about to interview a superhero. Seriously, this guy is the Energizer Bunny of the Liberty Movement. He just does not stop. And so I'm going to tell you who he is, and then I'm going to give more of an introduction. Derek Bros is my guest today. Derek, welcome to Freedom Junkie Radio. Well, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate that introduction. I, seriously, the more I dug into you so that I could give a good interview, the more I'm like, holy cow, he makes me look, you look, make me look like a chump. Liberty movement. Um, anyway, and we're both musicians and so we're going to get there. And uh, so I want to give a shout out to my sponsor in South Austin. If you guys need gold or silver, head down to Chris's Coins in uh, on Slaughter Lane in South Austin or go to chriscoins.com, K-R-I-S coins.com. Tell him Betsy from Freedom Junkie Radio sent you and thank him for sponsoring the show. Chris, you're awesome. Thank you. So back to Derek. Uh, let me just read a little bit about Derek's history so you have an idea of who, who you're getting a chance to listen to today. Derek Bros is an author, journalist, documentary filmmaker, and activist originally from Houston, now based in Mexico. I want to talk about that. Derek has been producing videos, essays, and articles since 2011. He's written books. He has uh, He's co-hosted he is co-hosting Live Free, Think Free on 90.1 KPFT in Houston. In 2013, he founded the Conscious Resistance Network, a site dedicated to multimedia journalism that exposes corporate and governmental corruption, while also highlighting solutions and exploring spirituality. A man after my own heart. In 2015, Derek began writing books and co-authored the Conscious Resistance Trilogy with John Vibes, and authored The Holistic Self-Assessment and his latest work, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State. Derek started writing and producing documentaries in 2015, including Bringing Down Jeffrey Epstein, The 5G Trojan Horse, and the 17-part series, The Pyramid of Power. He's a speaker who's spoken all over the world, and he is a co-founder along with our friend John Bush of the Freedom Cell Network, which is an international decentralized movement encouraging people to build local mutual aid groups with the goal of building parallel systems. So this was a hard interview to prepare for because every rabbit hole is wide open with you. I could We could talk about anything. And so I... I think the thing that interests me, well, it all interests me. I You just spoke at MIT this week on the technocratic state, and you ran for mayor of Houston last year, 
and you have a band that you play in. And I just don't see how you manage to wear all these hats. And so Freedom Junkie Radio is about solutions. So after I talk to you and ask you the questions that that have gotten me juiced up, I want to know what you can suggest to everybody to do, because we can't just depend on you. Although most people are going to sit back and go, okay, this guy's got it. But so, well, first of all, just welcome to Freedom Junkie Radio, Derek. I'm finally getting to meet you. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm very honored to have you on the show. Yeah, again, thank you for having me on and for for that introduction. I appreciate it and the support. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, I know I wear a lot of different hats depending on the day of the week, but it really is just, uh, I guess, kind of like the title of your show. I am a junkie for freedom, for liberty in these different ways. And, uh, you know, multifaceted human being who loves activism and journalism and writing, but also, of course, music and all that fun stuff. And uh, I feel like anything I do, any kind of project I take on, it's going to have... uh, the same goal of trying to advance liberty or freedom in some way, whether that's through making music or writing books, documentaries, all the things you mentioned. But it's always for me, it's just another kind of another form of self-expression. And I, you know, very expressive person, whether that's writing or music or whatever it may be. And I care about the future of the world. So it's just inevitably going to come out in some sort of creative way. And and it's going to be about the truth and about freedom and trying to help other people. Because like you said, I think most importantly, you know, we can't just sit around and wait for people like myself or you know, we can take inspiration from people of course and be inspired and motivated but hopefully get activated and start figuring out what works for us whether that's a podcast or getting out there and talking to people in your community or all of the above you know i think everybody has a role to play so really excited to talk with you and thanks for having me on well so you've touched on something that that is so obvious to me you you can't help it you're kind of like me like i couldn't especially, well, okay, I ran for Congress as a libertarian in 2012. And that was when you came for the US Congress. And I'm not a politician. I was an angry homeschool mom who was mad that the NDAA had passed and that now American citizens can be detained indefinitely. That means put in jail forever for uh, a suspicion of being a terrorist, which apparently half of America is now considered perhaps terrorists. Extremists, right? Yeah. and, And we're just, we just love our founding documents. So one of the things that interests me the most about you, because I am guilty of this too, is I think that at heart, if I'm not mistaken, I think you're a part of the the anarchy movement with Mexico and Texas. And so tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you understand that government is the main producer of our problems. It's the main, we'd we'd be better off without it. But Absolutely. both of them tried to work within the system to change the system. And you even yeah. ran for mayor of, of Houston this year. Give us a little bit about that, how being a person who doesn't believe in government pretty much at all, how we might have to use the government in order to change things. And then I'm also curious about what you saw from the corruption within the inside, because I'm sure you got some... Yeah, you know, so you definitely have the right assumption there that I am an anarchist. I, you know, even more specifically, if I'm pushed to define myself in political, philosophical terms, you know, agorist, counter-economist, somebody who works on not only doesn't believe in government, but believes the answer is for us to build our own systems. So, you know, I, I, I've been... I've been that way since 2010. I mean, the tiny little bit of sliver of hope that was in me, or maybe not hope, but just any belief that there was a, a way to affect change in a, in a major kind of national level, like on the federal level, 
that hope died with uh, Ron Paul's 2012 campaign. You know, I, I was when I was waking up in 2010, I got to hear Ron Paul speak at University of Houston in 2010. I read his book, Revolution and Manifesto, and watched some Alex Jones documentaries and read some other things. And it was all happening to me at once and also found some music that was very much empowering. And it was uh, shortly after our, I had an experience going to prison. So I was kind of coming out of that, like with a fresh eye, fresh mind and learning all these things. And already just knew that the government was corrupt and really didn't have much faith, as I said. But when I got to document, go to Florida and document um, the 2012 RNC and watch the Republican Party change the rules at the last minute to keep Ron Paul from being able to win delegates, it was really all I needed to see. Like, okay, so they'll just change the rules. They'll just beat you at, you know, you can't beat them at their own game, especially, I would say, on the federal level um, where it's tightly controlled. And so that's been my belief uh, for the last decade plus and instead i've put my energy into you know trying to encourage people to grow food in their own communities and using alternative currencies and parallel systems and i still very much believe that i've written about that in my books and um i did though run for mayor of houston this year and i ran in 2019 as well and i actually put out a video in the last couple of weeks kind of just going over the whole experience if anybody wants to see that at the consciousresistance.com and at the beginning of this year's campaign in January, when I came back to Houston, I had a group of friends who were friends and supporters from 2019 and others, family members as well. And we had a kind of a, a meeting and I outlined what we did in 2019 and what I believe we could do this year and what the obstacles might be. And, you know, I said, all right, if you guys have interest, I'll come back to Houston. I'll do this. If not, you know, I'll continue working on the land that I have in Mexico and just follow that path for now. No harm, no foul. But people overwhelmingly said they wanted me to come back and to do it again. And I think we were successful in terms of getting media coverage. I mean, that's one thing that I've become quite good at over the last decade plus is I can, you know, I can get on the front page of the Houston Chronicle and I've got to just from being out there so often, probably like yourself, you know, you get to meet people and people get to know your name. And, and I think that's also another area where a lot of activists or mainly online activists are very lacking. There's so many people who are paying attention to what's going on internationally and nationally and they have no connection to their own backyard. They have no connection to their own community. And if they ever did try to run for city council or mayor or something like that, maybe nobody would have any idea who they are because they're only existing on the Internet. You know, they don't really get involved. And I think this is a big problem in the freedom movement. If each of us were more focused, you know, this is why we promote freedom cells. Like if we each put our energy locally, whether that's running for school board or running for Congress or running for office or not running at all, but doing other awesome things like then I think we'd be better off. So I don't, you know, I haven't come to the conclusion of thinking politics is now the answer or that it's the only solution or anything like that. You know, my mind still hasn't changed. And um, I mean, I think, like you said, I, I got to see corruption even more directly in 2019 and in 2023. In fact, I was removed from the ballot this year, so I wasn't allowed to run my full race. We filed in January, started raising money in February, hosting events. I was getting invited to speak at, on you know the debates with the other candidates at local events and then uh, in late summer the current mayor who is about to be out in about two weeks who i've spent the last eight years confronting for his role with 5g he's been the one that turned houston into a smart city and he's very connected to big wireless industry i confronted him a whole bunch of times and i put that in my 5g documentary and so we don't have the best relationship and i think this is just one of his last ways to kind of screw me over so there was a letter directly from his office rejecting my ballot and claiming even though i ran in 2019 without any issue that because of my felony that happened 18 years ago when i was 20 years old 
that I was disqualified from running this time. So they were able to successfully prevent me from being able to be on the ballot. Now we have a lawsuit against the city of Houston that's ongoing. That's going to be you know a whole nother fight challenging them saying that the the interpretation of the Texas election code, which is written very vague and I think done on purpose to keep just to do this sort of thing, but that it, it is unconstitutional um, for the U.S. Constitution as well as the Texas Constitution, because, you know, there's a lot of details. But the short version is they wrote it in a way that allows them to kind of just interpret it one way or the other. Again, I was allowed to run in 2019. Felons have run in other cities in Texas without issue. But then there's other t times where they've gone the other direction and, and nobody's really in a hurry to try to make it clear what the heck the law actually means. So we're trying to sue them and see if we can change that. But yeah, in the meantime, while I was in the race, I, we got to reach a lot of people. I was getting endorsements. I was actually showing up in some of the local polls at 7%. And I think we would have been able to really make more waves. You know, my goal in addition to doing all those things and connecting with people is always the two times I've done it now is to get as much media coverage as possible to get on TV, to get on, be interviewed by the local radio and the newspaper. And uh, those doors open up pretty quickly. Once you are a candidate for mayor, as silly as it is, if you put the effort in and I, you know, I'm pretty good at getting their attention, um, they'll bring you on. So I was able to go on TV a few times before they disqualified me and uh, get endorsed by the Harris County Libertarian party and, and just different things like that and get, my message and the ideas and bring up some of the things that I wanted to talk about, like the COVID lockdowns and the uh, vaccine mandates for the city of Houston employees and stuff like that, that uh, we were able to bring those to the table. So I think it was a worthy effort. I mean, time, money, energy, all that stuff. There's cost, of course, to choosing to do something like this. And um, we had we raised about $15,000 and we used it very wisely. But um, ultimately, yeah, they used my my criminal history from when I was 20 years old against me to disqualify me. And once again, like I said, with Ron Paul, they'll just use their own rules to disqualify you if they if they feel threatened or they don't like what you're saying. Okay, so did you run as an independent or a libertarian? Yeah, no, I didn't. So one of the reasons, one of the only reasons I really did it is because on local races in Houston, there are no parties officially. So, I mean, you can tell like when a somebody's been running for the Republican Party their whole life or Democratic, but officially when you go to vote, there's no D's or R's or anything next to anybody's name. So I didn't have to pledge to any party. Officially, everybody is independent. But again, it's clear if somebody has a whole history with a particular party. But I was independent. I, I did get the endorsement by the Harris County Libertarian Party, which I was happy to receive. But I mean, officially, I'm not a member of any political party. Um, now, about your felony, was that a drug charge? Yeah, I was a drug charge when I was uh, 20 years old. I was addicted to drugs for a couple of years after high school. You know, I went to just all the that's why, you know, you mentioned earlier the conscious resistance, my work, it does explore corruption and the kind of spiritual, internal, psychological, the need for healing and trauma, because somebody like myself was dealing with a lot of trauma. And the way I learned to use to deal with it was using drugs and alcohol to avoid things and and, and it sucked me in for a couple of years. And thankfully, I was able to pull myself out of that. I, could, I got addicted to crystal meth for a little while when I was 19, 20 years old. And I was locked up by the time I turned 21. And I ended up doing 18 months in Texas state institutions between 2005 and October 2008. I kind of went in for a year, got out for a little bit, did that whole thing. And uh, in the process was starting to just get into like meditation and prayer and really starting to do a lot of the internal work. And so that was all happening before I ever came out as a felon and started to wake up more politically, you know, that kind of happened to me first. 
So that's part of why you're a superhero because you are, there's so many people that at some point in their lives, usually when you're pretty young and you're trying to just mask the pain of whatever it is, you know, whatever it it is. And it's so prevalent in our society. It's so easy to get your hands on. And even just alcohol, I've been alcohol free for almost five years. I had to give it up. I was just drinking too much. Just, and, and it's for someone like you to have put that behind you and then to just be such a powerhouse your whole life is a testimony to what can be done. And so, you know, I want to ask you like, when you were to get on TV, if you had two or three minutes to reach people and shift something, what's the most important thing? Because what you talk about fluoride, you're very, you know about that before anybody else did. You've been talking about the um, the technocratic state and the surveillance state. And there's just so many things that can either wake people up or that people need to know about what are, and you, you've, you know, about all of it, what are the most important things for people to know right now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and it's, it's something that I actually spent quite a bit of time thinking about because you, particularly as it relates to the campaign, when you do these interviews, you're going to get seven minutes at most or something like that. Right. And half the time the host is talking. So you're fighting for every little second you can get to say the most important, crucial things. And you don't necessarily want to come off crazy in those two or three minutes you got. But you also want to say something that matters, you know, and a lot of times as well, when it comes to uh, local, I notice like local news, they really dumb it down for people a lot and not in any kind of positive way, like helping people understand. I mean, like just like one example, having to go to these morning shows where people are just way too awake at 5 a.m. And, you know, it's like good morning, Houston, or whatever this thing, right? And instead of trying to have a serious conversation, they're like, okay, we want you to pull some questions out of a fishbowl and just silly stuff. And and even with that situation, I like sit there and like, okay, how can I turn this into something that matters, right? I'm going to find a way, there's going to be an opportunity, there's going to be an opening to take this show and this interview that they're putting in front of me that doesn't really have much substance, but I want to speak to the people who might hear it. Um, and in that particular case, I, I was lucky. I got a, one of the fishbowl questions was, what's your favorite book? And I said, well, 1984, because it reminds me so much of the world that we're dealing with today. And I just kind of turned it into this whole thing. And they sort of like, OK, and didn't know how to respond. But I got to you know say what I had to say. But if I had two, three minutes, if I had been able to make the primetime debate stage, if they hadn't kicked me off, um, the main things I think I wanted to come back to Houston to speak about is Agenda 2030. And, uh, and, you know, going so big with a topic like that, so broad for one, like, you know, you don't have a long time to really try to explain to people. So you have to kind of do it in a way that is going to get the point across, even if they've never heard the term Agenda 2030 or something like the Great Reset. But when I did make the decision to come back to Houston, some of my original kind of uh, material I was putting together for the campaign this year that I was thinking about that. And it's like, what do I want to focus? I know that on local races, people want to talk about things that are kind of mundane, like when does my trash get picked up and these sort of things. But at the same time, the mayor, once they get into office, they're they're doing a lot bigger things. They're signing international deals. You know, the current mayor is the um, he's in the C40 climate mayors. He's works for the Resilient Foundation funded by the Rockefellers, you know, but they they kind of play this role that they're just this like good local guy doing, you know, making sure your crime is taken care of and flooding 
but there's so much bigger things to talk about. And so for me, one of those things I think would just be straight off the, the bat of telling people, you need to understand that all these positive things that are being promoted in Houston or wherever you live, things like riding bikes and more park space and um, you know more equity and good for the environment and driverless vehicles and smart cities and all this stuff that's being sold to us, which is rolling out in a big city like Houston already in different ways, uh, that these things are actually going to lead to less privacy and less liberty for you and your family. And the only way that we can stop it is for one to start becoming aware of this technology as it exists around us to start to research it. And I probably would just start to name drop like different things. Like I encourage anybody who cares about this, go research the greater reset, or maybe even I would have set up a website, a page on my website specifically for this purpose to say, Hey, if you're just hearing this and this is all totally new, go to www.this slash that. And there'll be a landing page that'll just like take you through my documentaries or, you know, that's, I mean, that's the purpose of a lot of my work, like with the pyramid of power, for example, to try to take somebody who might not have a lot of information, but if they have an open mind and they are willing to follow the facts, then we can kind of take them through that process as quickly as possible. So Houston's on the schedule. So is Austin. And I don't know, I, I think San Antonio and Dallas too. I'm not sure I'm a hundred percent that Houston and Austin. So that would have been the city council, the mayor. I'm not sure who signed on with the WEF or whoever it is that's doing the UN or whoever's got the, the smart city agenda going on where they're, did you, I'm sure you're aware of it. They, they sent out the list that by 2030, do Houston, see you're, you were just so calm and collected when you were saying all that. And to me, it sounds like you need to have your hair on fire and, and, and be in sounding a little bit more crazy. I mean, in Houston and Austin, Texas, <clears throat> where you are and where I am, you're not going to be able to, this is crazy. Eat meat, eat dairy, own a car. There's more, there's a lot more, but those right there are insane. Yeah, they, go definitely, they definitely have in their documents. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is to the average person, if this is, if this information is beyond their understanding or too much, we don't have to get into speculation or, or kind of make up things. You know, the truth is already right there in front of us and we're very much facing an open agenda. So you have organizations like the Smart City Alliance and you got, as you mentioned, the UN, the G20, WF, all these various organizations. And yeah, they've already put together proposals that, in the extreme end, say by 2030, you know, we're going to have no traffic with our uh, vehicle traffic within inner cities and, you know, maybe one stake a month or they have, you know, they have some very detailed plans on their very extreme version. And this is how they, they do things is they put it out there. They try to cast their spells and they push the pieces of the puzzle along as far as they can. And if the people go along with it, then, you know, maybe they make their timeline. If not, if the people push back, which I think we will see push back in different ways for some of these agendas, we already are. COVID is a great example of that, that maybe they wish things went a little bit smoother for them in some ways, like that vaccine passports never disappeared and we were already in the digital ID future. Well, instead they rolled back a lot of places and now they're having to you know, try harder. And even the United Nations, I've written a couple of articles this year, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has said that they are behind schedule that, you know, he's like basically crying that like, hey, we're, we're not going to meet the mark for 2030. We have like less than 10% of our goals are on track. And I think part of this is it's part of their propaganda just to get the public hearing that like, hey, we're, you know, if you care about the climate, we're behind. We're so that in fact, people want to support more extreme measures of like, hey, we have to reach these goals and we're willing to do whatever. And so 
you know, but the point is they're, they're publicly acknowledging that they're not on track. And so I don't think this is a foregone conclusion. I think that's important for people to remember too, that just because these psychopaths have their plans or they put out some documents or hold some conferences doesn't mean it's guaranteed fact. We still do have a role to play in terms of uh, building new systems, but also pushing back where we can on the insanity that they're trying to advance. I just don't see how it's possible. I don't see how anybody, well, there are people who don't want to eat meat and don't want to eat dairy and they want to ride a bike. Okay. There that's, that's a fringe people. It's not that many people. And I just don't see how they, they're so arrogant to think that they can just roll this over on humanity. I don't, I think the pushback will be enormous. Houstonians and Austinites as, as crazy as some of them are like their steak. I mean, they really do. And so, yeah, I, I do think that this is and it's one thing that, again, that kind of gives me a little bit of solace because, you know, I'm I, I have a we have a truck here, but I also do like to go bike. I like that there's more bike trails around Houston and I can see this is what I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that not everything that these people propose is necessarily bad. The problem is when it's involuntary, when it's forced, if you don't want to ride a car, then that, that should be your choice. But if you want to, you should obviously have that choice. So. That's what I think is important to remember, because Agenda 2030 also comes in the form of more bike trails and more paths and more walkable cities. And these things aren't inherently bad. You know, they're not horrible things. It's just that they're being done where the people have no say. And of course, we know that there's a kind of anti-human, a deeper agenda going on here. So, you know, sometimes you see the bike trail and you're like, all right, I'm grateful. I got nice, beautiful path in the city that we didn't have before. But I'm going to keep my eye on this and make sure that, you know, and I see the groups. I saw it during the campaign. There are groups in the city who have said that they would like for there to be no car traffic. And so I recognize that they're there. But at the same time, when I'm in four o'clock traffic in Houston and there's a million cars around me, I'm like, wow, they're going to have to try so hard because it's, I just don't see it happening. You know, so even the average person, I think, will, who's not a wild extremist conspiracy theorist, if they try to take away their vehicles, I do believe that there will be there will be a pushback when we see this in other places. And that's, of course, why these people have more than one method to get things done. So sometimes you don't have to hold a gun to someone's head and say, hey, you can't do this. Instead, you just socially engineer the conditions to make them do what you want. So you could continue to see the economy and inflation increasing to the point where most people can't afford to drive and they just price you out, you know, and so they basically get the same effect in the end and either way. You know, it's you can still technically drive. It's still illegal to do so if you can afford to do it. Right. And so there's a lot of ways they could get these agendas done. But I don't think that it's just going to be as easy as 2030s here. And, you know, they snap their fingers and their agendas in place. I think, again, that's otherwise I would I wouldn't be. I mean, I guess I probably still would be trying even if things felt hopeless because they sometimes do. But I definitely feel like and we, I've seen in the last couple of years with some of the work I've been involved with the Freedom Cell Network and the Greater Reset and just various movements of people around the world who are focusing on like creating freedom and liberty, whether they're running for office, whether they're trying to, you know, be a good candidate amongst a sea of swampy people, or whether they're trying to build more food in their backyards and grow food for their own families or get connected. There's so many different action steps that people can and are taking. And I've been blessed to just, you know, get the emails from people and say, hey, I watched this video or I went to the Great Reset or I went to this summit or something that I've been involved in. And they took it seriously and now they're homeschooling their kids. They're trying out you know, alternative currencies. They're growing some food. They're connected with other people in their community. So I very much think that there's an opportunity right now for anybody who is action oriented and proactive and forward thinking 
to step up and, and become a part of this movement. But it's also the kind of thing that if you just stay on the internet all the time and you just consume all the fear porn and all the bad news, it's going to, it's going to pass you up because you're just going to be so sucked into thinking that things are hopeless and you're not going to see all the good things around you. Well, and that's a way to become joyful too. Like you said, when sometimes things seem hopeless, if you're on the internet too much, you just get so bummed out. But if you take action, you feel good, you know? And so you probably feel good, <laughs> even though all you're seeing, all the, all the craziness, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night the other night, wondering how people could come together and pull the plug, pull the rug out from under these unelected governmental agencies like, or, or these, these groups of people that have come together and have decided that they're going to tell the world what to do. The World Economic Forum, the UN, these weren't, I, it seems like we could come together and go, you know, y'all don't matter. We aren't listening to you. We don't care. Our Our governments are bought and paid for, but we're not. And I don't know. What do you think about that? Can we get rid of them or do we just have to ignore them and do the parallel thing? Um, you know, this is this is a great question. It's something I have spent a little bit of time thinking about. You know, I don't I honestly don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say that I've you know resigned myself to the idea that we're just going to give the earth over to these psychopaths because I don't think that's you know really a good solution either. Right. And the reality is, even when we're trying to build parallel systems and, you know, uh, freedom communities and and all these di in different parts of the world, which is happening, and I think is a positive development. You know, if we're surrounded, though, by people who are these psychopaths or indoctrinated by these psychopaths, then it's not going to be that difficult for them to say those people out there living on the fringes, the edges or in the countryside, they're the problem. You know, it's because of them that we're suffering or whatever, you know, as the people who stay under the mainstream status economy, they continue to suffer because of inflation. While we're out there, you know, I could easily see, and I think science fiction and Hollywood shows us stories like this, where the people who go outside of the system become demonized by the system, and they tell them they're terrorists out there, they're extremists, it's dangerous, this and that. So I think that could be problematic too, okay? We form a bunch of freedom communities, and then what? They're going to send their indoctrinated goons, some of our former friends and family after us, because they think we're the problem. None of us want that, of course. Um, so I don't know. I don't know that leaving these people to take over and we just do our own thing is like the end game. But I do think it's part of the solution, at least for me, because I do. I've felt for years that, and you know, conflict may be inevitable, and that's not something that I really like to get into often. And I, maybe some of us are just afraid to say that out loud. But I do think conflict may be inevitable, I, and I pray that it's not because it's not something. You know, I don't. I don't have any dreams of pretending to be Rambo and going out and watching people get killed in front of me and all the horrible things that come along with real life conflict. You know, it's not a video game, people fighting for their lives to try to stay free. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, that horrifies me. The idea that my six nieces and nephews that are 13 and under could face a future like that if the country doesn't go in a be better direction. So, um, but I, I also am not going to just act ignorant like those possibilities don't exist. Right. I mean, we are facing a, uh, you know, psychopaths, let's just say in the U S government who, as you mentioned earlier, believe that, loving freedom is an extreme thing and questioning the government makes you a dangerous person. We're in the place where there are people out there, scientists and others saying that they're anti-science extremists and people, you know, that, that this is the kind of language they're using and talking about needing to create new agencies of the U S government to focus on people like us. I mean, we're in a pretty precarious situation that we're facing here. Um, so I don't know that these people are just going to willingly go away on their own. I don't want to, 
get into a cycle of violence, though, that history has shown us will persist. You know, it just it, I don't know how we get past that. And I guess my hopes or my prayer is that as we build these parallel systems, that we are able to show people another way of being, another way of living, and that the spell, so to speak, would would snap on these people. And and in the work of Samuel Konkin, who is somebody who really inspired my work, he's the founder of agorism, counter-economics, and he described a lot of this, this vision of people building pockets of freedom outside of the state's hands. And over time, as people as the state needs to control more and more, they're just going to get more restrictive. They're going to keep raising taxes, inflation. So the people who are underneath them will ideally, hey, what our crazy friends out there in the countryside, they seem to be a lot happier than us. Maybe we need to go join them. And as they lose power, you know, they they lose their tax farm. Um, but even in Konkin's sort of his predictions or his vision, he said that the state would last would uh, launch their last gasping breath and they would launch an attack on not only the people trying to exit from the remaining people trying to exit from the system, but those of us who've built these alternatives. And in his terms, he believed surviving that attack was the, the true definition of a revolution. Like if we could survive that, then we've proven that the people can defend themselves. The U.S. government would lose all moral support, you know, if it was if it had become that weak. And so who knows what the future looks like. But yeah, I see that those things are potentially there. And in the meantime, I want to build as much as I can for my nieces and nephews, for any friends, family who may need help in the future. And um, and hopefully we don't have to face the violence. But um, yeah, it, I guess we're going to find out. It's kind of how I feel. Okay, so you already mentioned solutions and actions people can take, you know, just by by even just growing your own food, which makes so much sense right now, considering how expensive food has gotten. Like you said, you know, if they want to control us, it's it's well known that to control the food, control the people. So yes, grow your own food. When we talk about uh, parallel systems, we need a parallel banking system. We need a parallel medical system. We need a parallel educational system. You know, so I want you seem to do it all, which is amazing. And it's just like so much fun to watch. I can't wait to make the show notes for this show because I'm going to put all your books, links to all your DVDs. I want anyone who hears this, who wasn't aware of Derek and his body of work to go look through and find something that, I mean, he's, you've been involved in the, the fluoride, uh, just, I, I, apparently it's becoming more mainstream now that fluoride causes brain damage. And, um, the, actual steps that people can take. I've been kind of a proponent of just do one thing, because if a million of us do one thing, that's a million things. That's a million cuts. There's no way they can. So figure out what your niche is. And, and if that's, you know, joining, finding a freedom cell, that's a great organization to try to get involved in. It's not really an organization because it's not, it's just getting together with a local group of people that you can uh, lean on if times get tough. And what are some other things that people could, if someone's hearing this and thinking, what can I do? Sure. Okay. Well, I'll throw out a couple more links for your show notes. He mentioned the Freedom Cells uh, a couple times. So the website for anybody who wants to check that out is freedomcells.org. That's C-E-L-L-S, like the cells in your body. And uh, the general idea there being like the cells in your body, each cell or group or hub or hive or circle, whatever you want to call it, is is individual and powerful and unique on its own but collectively that cell is part of the larger organism that is you and in the same way what we call freedom cells we encourage people to 
create these local decentralized groups in your area. So again, I'm in Houston. So we have a Houston Freedom Cell, but Houston's also a big city. So over time, you end up with maybe a couple, couple dozen people or 10 or more people. And you decide, well, some of us are coming from the west side and some of us are coming from the north side. So let's have a even more local group within Houston. Maybe those groups stay on uh, in touch online. Maybe have a you have a group on our website where you can create your own groups and circles there or maybe on Telegram, another app. And you all stay in touch and you start just brainstorming what are the goals that our our local group here has what are, you know what are you interested in? hey well we're all interested in learning a little bit more about growing our own food so why don't we start there by watching this documentary on permaculture or going to the local community garden or you know inviting some farmer to come speak to us any kind of thing like that where you're getting the knowledge and the information amongst your group and then maybe on a monthly level you and all those local smaller cells come together for a you know one big monthly meeting Maybe there's some food, some community aspects, social aspect, because very much a big part of this, too, is that a lot of people just feel alone and they feel isolated in the world that we're in today. So you have that aspect, but then you also have some business where each group could share. This is what we've been working on. And the idea being that we're all learning from each other. We're exchanging the ideas. And as you mentioned, like these mutual aid groups, these freedom cells in times of need, but also just, I think, as far as building local community can be there to support each other. But absolutely, let's say like where we're at in Houston, we get hurricanes periodically. It doesn't have to be you're preparing for a government lockdown or the end of the world or zombie apocalypse or anything. It could just be, hey, we got a group of people who've got some emergency supplies. We all know that every member has a emergency bag. We've been each been trained in CPR or just things like that. Maybe we've taken a self-defense class together and the hurricane hits in our group decides hey let's go out and help some people or let's check on each other make sure everybody's good and get some supplies out. you know there's so many different ways this idea can be applied and i've written about it quite a bit since 2016 and put out videos over the years so i encourage people to check that out freedomcells.org you create a free profile there and then you can search the maps the member maps and the cell maps to see if you find other people in your area check out their profile see what they're about message them connect with them go to a meeting and uh yeah just kind of join that movement <laughs> Excuse me. And then the um, as far as kind of other steps that people can take, I think that what you said there about doing one thing is, of course, a good place. You know, I try to throw out a lot of different ideas for a lot of different things. And I mean, hopefully that's not too overwhelming, but I could understand like people get lists of things and it's like, wow, where do I even start? Right. And you can maybe get, you know, uh, analysis paralysis and just not do anything and and just kind of be overwhelmed. So maybe starting with something, as you said, something, a simple thing, like if you're in the situation where you don't know anybody locally, then just joining freedomcells.org and trying to find other like-minded people. It's a simple step, low risk. You can just start by connecting with people online and then hopefully get to the point where you want to meet in person and connect with other people. There's things like that. I also think everybody should learn more about permaculture, no matter whether you live in the countryside, the city, you know, suburbs, uh, the desert, anywhere it can be done anywhere. Discoverpermaculture.org is a great website. Uh, Jeff Lawton, this Australian teacher, he does some really well done kind of introductory videos for people who want to learn more about that. And then, you know, look up a, <coughs> excuse me, look up a community farm or urban farm in your area or just a farm if you live at near real, uh, real farms and get involved where you can. You know, I, I get that people are tired and we're overworked already, but if you want to give yourself some skills, make yourself more valuable to your family and your friends and your community now and in the future, then just put in a couple of hours on a weekend. You know, we just, for example, our local Freedom Cell just organized a weekend or two ago, a meetup. We went and found this uh, community farm that is in 
one of the poorest uh, older black neighborhoods in Houston. And there's not really, it's a food desert. There's not any grocery stores or anything around. And they've got, you know, just they're growing all kinds of greens. They're doing hydroponic and in the ground and eggplants and all kinds of stuff and herbs. And, and so we just connected with them and we just set up a date, said, hey, come spend some time in, in the garden with us. Bring some gloves. We'll have some 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 snacks and some friends show up and give them a little bit of volunteer help. But also for those who've never even put their hands in the soil and experience of actually doing that and everybody gets to go home with some fresh greens kind of having that experience picking it from the garden yourself i think those can be really powerful really enriching and doing things like that as a group it just makes it easier you can get a lot of work done and those experiences just become more and more empowering the more you do them right so i think food is is absolutely crucial right now so if it was if i had to focus on one thing i would say just get closer to your local food supply get more involved in that whether that's putting a couple plants in your windowsill or you know, if you have any kind of space outdoors to do even just a little four by four square foot garden or something like that. I mean, there's so much you can do without a lot of space. But if you do have space, maybe you can open that space up to a freedom cell or to a local group. And then you can be the one getting help from other people while they learn. Cool. Uh, you know, I have a, a few kind of random questions now. What do you think about the Texit movement? Um, I, I support that. I mean, I think that I definitely think secession is a is it can be a valuable tool against tyranny. Um, And I think it's also been pretty heavily demonized. And Texas obviously has such a huge economy and resources all of its own and has a history of being its own nation. So I generally I think I I don't know if I would if I can like endorse the politics of every person involved in that movement per se. Right. But I mean, just that idea, though, of Texas exiting the U.S. or seceding or becoming its own nation, those kind of ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely support secession all the way down to the neighborhood level. Yeah, it's funny. I'm a Texas supporter. I just, I would love to see that happen. I just think that our oh. nation, as much as I, as, as much as I love our founding documents and, you know, it's the, our country as it is, isn't what it was founded to be. And it's, to me, it's a sinking ship and I'd love to, to jump ship, but then I'm like, okay, so I'm a statist, you know, if I want a government at all, but I just think it's a step in the right direction for sure. And uh, anarchy isn't going to happen overnight. I got to interview Larkin Rose recently, and we went deep into that rabbit hole. That yeah, was I awesome. saw that. Yeah, and, can I say something to that yeah, real quick please. about so because um, obviously, like I mentioned, I ran for mayor and I got kicked off the ballot. But after I got kicked off the ballot, we continued to campaign for this proposition that was called Proposition A in Houston, and we helped we helped it pass. Myself and my team. I mean, we were out there just kicking butt. I know that we made it an issue. And this started because I ran in 2019 as mayoral candidate. I was saying that the mayor of Houston had too much power and that if I was elected mayor, I was going to reduce the office to basically a figurehead. And people actually started to agree with this idea because Houston has the strongest mayoral position in the U.S. and probably still does, but it's been weakened now a little bit. So I was saying in 2019, elect me as mayor and I'm the only person that will actually make sure city council can do anything because they currently have no power and thereby Houstonians voices would matter. And so like we had this whole plan, other candidates started to take the idea. They started to say, yeah, the mayor does have too much power. So I didn't win in 2019, but in 2020, a coalition, one of the biggest coalitions in Houston's history came together, left, right, atheist, Christian, Baptist, all kinds of organizations came together, got more than 40,000 petition signatures to add a charter amendment to the ballot that would make it where 
it would change the city charter so that if three members of council say, hey, my constituents care about this topic, it automatically gets placed on the weekly agenda, which currently the mayor is the only person who can do that. So the mayor, all the years, like, for example, you mentioned Floyd, when I was going to city of Houston city council back in 2011, 2012, and we had dozens of people showing up. We sat down with council members. At the end of the day, it didn't matter because they literally had no power to introduce anything to the agenda. So then nothing could get discussed, nothing could get voted on. And the mayor, the previous mayor who I'd confronted, she was very pro-fluoride and was like, it's not going anywhere. And so my point is using that system, that state of system, we helped get Proposition A passed. And now it's already been used to help with the water bill situation here in Houston. Now three council members out of 16 have the power to add items to the, to the weekly agenda, which is a small, simple step, but we just in a small way have broken the stranglehold that the mayor of Houston has had for 70 plus years. And so my point is to what you said, like I, I still am an anarchist and I still believe morally it is the only moral system and that people need to evolve to a point of social responsibility, personal responsibility. And I believe it's possible, but it's not happening tomorrow. And, you know, I live in a neighborhood in Houston where I see a lot of people that lack personal responsibility. And it's like, wow, what are we going to do in our anarchist world with people like that? Or when, when I was in prison, I met people who do not give a damn about anybody else, not even themselves. And, you know, how do you deal with people like that in an anarchist world, you know, without becoming the state, without using violence? There's a lot of unanswered questions. That doesn't mean I don't believe it's, it's not possible. It doesn't mean, you know, I, I've given up because this is what I'm trying to build with my intentional community. We're trying to be an example of that. But it's not going to happen tomorrow. So in the meantime, if I could use that system in a little small way on the local level, as hyper local as I can be and pass this Prop A thing, give people a little more power. I think that's a positive thing for liberty. OK, how how do you maintain your sanity and maintain your hope when you feel a little hopeless? What are the things you do? to, I know you're spiritual. I know that you've got a connection to the divine and your creator. Um, I'm going to segue into music. I want to know about uh, how that plays a part in your life. Cause sometimes people get, I, sometimes I just want to be like, screw it. I'm just, I, what can I do? You know? And, but then, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I understand uh, that feeling of wanting to give up. And there's probably been, I'd say, a dozen or more times over my career, if you will, that I've come pretty close to giving up uh, in different ways where I just like felt like I was burnt out. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of writing. I'm tired of talking about this. Like, I, you know, whatever it may be. Like, And a lot of times it was me just pushing myself to the brink because I am kind of obsessive about this. I mean, it's the only, it's why I've been able to make it my life and actually provide for myself a little bit doing this because it's the only thing that matters. You know, before I was managing a restaurant, this guy wanted me to take over his business. I started to wake up. He started to find me in the back reading these books and he's like, you're not even here anymore. And I was like, I know, I, I really don't care about this. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, this doesn't even matter anymore. Right. So I've been lucky enough to make this my daily life and that has positives and negatives it's my daily life so this isn't just a hobby i do this is everything i do every day and that can be a lot so i've had to learn over the years like bike rides saved my life like honestly taking a bike ride going to play basketball going on a walk with uh, my partner miriam um you know getting away for the weekend just doing something with her going to camp or those kind of things like are what keep me sane and spending time with my nieces and nephews of course too 
trying to do things that remind me why I'm fighting for a better world and why I'm putting in the daily energy and money and sweat and tears and all the fun stuff that go along with fighting for what you believe in. And it's not, uh, you know, a sob story of any kind. This is like the path. I wouldn't choose anything else. I couldn't imagine anything else that had as much meaning as my life does now. Um, and I think this is what I've been looking for, but um, I have to take the time away from it too, and make sure that I'm balancing those things. It's, you know, every, so many of life's lessons in my short experience here going on 39 years now um, has shown me that life is about balance and just trying to maintain balance among the chaos. And that's really what I strive for. I don't always uh, succeed that in that those ways, but I, I'm learning and growing constantly. And every time I feel myself pushing too hard, maybe into the work and I have to remind myself to step back. And because I put a lot of pressure on myself too, I, you know, I, I'm my own boss. So I create boundaries and deadlines for myself and those are good. They help me stay productive, but sometimes I have to remember like, okay, I can not do this today if I want to. I can, I have that freedom. I've created that freedom. So it's okay if I step away from the fight for one day because there's other people like yourself and so many others that are doing it in different ways, right? So yeah, I just, that's what I do. I just try to keep myself sane and balanced by spending time with the people I care about and um, just going out and enjoying the natural world because I do spend a lot of time on the computer and editing and writing and such like that. So it's important for me to go out and get the sunlight and touch the earth. Well, and I've thought of it this way too. You can't be on the front lines all the time. You have to step back and let other people, there are a lot of us. There's a ton of us. We might not be doing as much as you are. And I am really grateful to hear that you are making a living doing it. I was a little curious about that, that, you know, do you, do you have a day job? Well, no, you just answered that. You are um, managing to make this your life. How can- My day job would be just, I write articles. Like the thing that I mainly get paid for, sorry to cut you off, is writing for The Last American Vagabond because I don't think I mentioned that. So anybody wants to find me there, The Last American Vagabond, Ryan Christian, he does amazing work. And I'm the, I'm basically the lead investigator. So I get paid to write weekly articles. And then, you know, I have The Conscious Resistance, my own website and- you know, other people gratefully, you know, graciously support me monthly here and there. But uh, what keeps the bills getting paid is my writing. Okay. And you're a brilliant writer. I went and read a couple of your articles on Last American Vagabond. I'm really glad you brought that up. It's a great resource for people who don't know about it. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And um, so why are you called 33 when you do your music? <laughs> So, yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know, I make um, I, you know, I really hesitate to call it conscious hip hop, but I keep calling it conscious hip hop just because that sends a message immediately that conveys that, hey, if when you hear the word hip hop or rap, you think of all the worst things, just know that there are other styles, just like all music. There's all styles and genres and subgenres and all that fun stuff. But the reason I hesitate to say that is because I don't want to put myself in any kind of box, even a conscious box. You know, I want to be able to just talk about whatever comes to me. And so I've been making music my whole life. Mainly, I, you know, I, I can play some keyboards and percussion and some drums. I have fun with that. But I've always been a vocalist and being a young, angry dude, I got into punk and metal and just yeah, so I've always been performing. And then probably around the time I started to get into activism, I set that aside for a few years because I was just so busy doing this. But music is so close to the soul that I had to get back to doing music. And I've been in bands, but it wasn't until 2018 when basically I was just so busy doing the work I'm doing now and everything we just talked about 
that the last band I was in kicked me out because they're like, dude, you're just too busy. Like you're too busy. And I got it. I was like, I understand. So I kind of drifted even further towards hip hop, which I've always been a fan of, um, especially hip hop with a message and uh, and realized like, hey, this kind of makes sense because I am very busy, but this is something I can work on pretty solitarily with like, you know, maybe another producer helping come up with a beat or something like that. But I can do it in my own schedule, my own time. I can sit down and write songs and I can also go record a song in the studio a lot quicker because it's just me and, you know, the beat. Um, and so it just kind of seemed to fit. But also, I guess there was there was uh, I had this experience one day where I was in my I was living in this activist house and I was just having another kind of download, I guess you could say, because I just put on some some um, instrumental beats. They were playing and over my speaker system in my room and all this stuff just started to come out of me. And it wasn't any even particularly good, but I hit record. I had my microphone and all this stuff for like hours on end. I was just trying to like kind of rapping and flowing and, and I just listened to it a couple days later and I was like okay there's some like nuggets of something worth pursuing in there you know and that was also happening at the time where my uh, birth father was uh, just he ended up dying of a drug overdose and that was when I was 33 years old and um, that was really I really realized that like I needed hip-hop to like share these things I was going through that it was only it wasn't going to come out in the voice I'd been using in these other bands that I it was a different voice it was a different thing and I love hip hop as a storytelling medium, you know, again, when done in the best way, it's just about being able to tell your life experience. And I have a lot of life experience to share. And so for me, 33, I chose a name because, you know, there's some people believe that Christ descended to back to the heavens at the age of 33. Others that say the Buddha was also 33 years old when he became enlightened. Uh, we have 33 vertebrae. A lot of people don't know that. And there's definitely some powerful numerology, esoteric meanings in, with 33. And I don't even fully claim to understand it. But I'm not a Freemason. You know, there's always that question some people say because <laughs> the Masons use that. But what I like to tell people is that, you know, the Masons, they, them, whoever, they don't own spiritual technology. They understand it and they understand intention. They know how to use and, and use symbols and use numbers, but that doesn't mean that they own those numbers or that they own the shape of a triangle or these kind of things. And in fact, I think it's very disempowering to kind of, for us to go around us being freedom-minded people, like seeing certain symbols and being afraid. It doesn't mean you should ignore them because a lot of times I think these people also do send messages with their symbols too. But, you know, intention matters. And when you read my lyrics, my lyrics are about my my first album I released last January. It's called Transmutation. It's about my struggle with drug, a, a depression and prison and drug addiction and then changing my life. And so the whole album literally starts in the darkest place of me being in that world and then progressively like, getting locked up, starting to wake up. And then by the end of it, it's like waking up and talking about what I'm doing now. So it's a whole journey. Um, and so 33 to me means healing, it means growth, it means transformation, transmutation. And when I see that number, which I see it a lot now, it, it kind of, I feel like it found me. Um, I just generally take it as a sign from God that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and that I'm on the right path. And so, cool. yeah, so yeah, it's, it has a lot of meaning behind it to me. Yeah. And I enjoy doing it and people can find that at 33ishere.com. There's a link to my album there. Okay. I'll put that in too. Can you spit a little rhyme for us? One of your favorites? <laughs> sure i can um okay let me think what so that album like i said is transmutation the last song which is the longest song on there is called awakening and it's like it sounds it's about awakening um let me see if i can remember i remember this one part of the verse at least so we'll, we'll do that one um 
I've never felt more powerful than when I question the power. So full of themselves, lost in arrogance, but in reality, the cowards. If you're searching for the devil, look no further than your government. The politicians are the puppets, but don't forget the false covenants. The false prophets, mega churches making profits, the devil's loving it. They lie to your face and you take it. Do you prefer to be ruled? They got you fooled. They pull the wool over your eyes, feed your lies while they propagandize and strategize. Come on, my brothers and sisters. This is our moment to rise. They never saw us coming, but we are the antidote to their lies. We strive for truth and liberty. We strive to be better. Humanity's made mistakes. We're not perfect, but this ain't forever. I know we're destined to build the better world we know is possible. It's gonna take struggle and making ourselves responsible for our choices and actions. We have the power to manifest that which we know we deserve. We are humanity at its best. Amen, brother. <laughs> Yes. Okay. That is the, I, I, I'm so, at first I thought, hmm, he's missing his beats while he's doing this, but you know what? Just raw like that. You could understand every word you said, and it was all so powerful. Thank you. Oh, everything you do, Derek. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Cause I mean, we, this is, you are someone that you know, I could talk to for hours and hours and hours, and I know you're a busy guy and you've got lots to do. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing this. My audience will eat you up like candy. And so is there anything that you'd leave us with? Um, well, first of all, again, thank you very much for just the work that and the efforts that you're putting in to try to reach people and educate people. I, I think that it's so important we're all doing what we can. And uh, thank you for the invite. Um, I just, you know, encourage everybody out there to do what you can where you're at. Take inspiration from shows like this and podcasts like this and do what you can where you are. Reach those who you can. Try not to be overwhelmed. We're facing some some big circumstances. And it's uh, I think this is personally, I believe this is why we're here. I believe that you're alive and you're hearing this. And we're connecting right now for a reason that this is all for a bigger purpose. So if you are having days where you feel a little hopeless, just know that you're here for a reason. And whether that's a small or big reason, none of us really know, but just do what you can, help who you can. And I believe we're gonna make it through this. So thank you. Well, thank you for that inspirational ending. Do Is there a way if people wanted to contribute to what you do, is there a way they can do that? Yeah, so- Support you, do, support your work. Yeah, the, the probably the most direct way is if you go to theconsciousresistance.com slash invest, and there's a link to, I have a PO box and uh, buy me a coffee if people want to support monthly, and then I'm on Substack and things like that. It's all at theconsciousresistance.com slash invest. Awesome. Well, and I want to give a shout out again to our sponsor who sponsors this show. You can buy your gold and silver at Chris's Coins in South Austin, Slaughter Lane, Chris Coins, K-R-I-S, coins.com. Tell him Betsy sent you and that uh, that you're grateful for him to be sponsoring the show. Derek, thank you so much for coming on and spending a little bit of your afternoon here with us and with me. I'm so delighted to have met you and I can't wait to give you a hug one day and just keep up the fight, brother. I'm just so uh, honored to have connected with you and to help get your work out there just even a little bit further. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Look forward to the hug whenever it happens. Okay. Take it, take it easy till we meet again. All right. Ciao. I live better than a king ever did. I live better than a king.